Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hi, it's Allison, and welcome back to the podcast. I'd like to thank you for your questions in advance, but also I'd like to thank those whose questions have been answered or for other listeners who have benefited from the answers who are also sending me messages thanking me for uh, the advice and sharing personal stories about how they tried some of the techniques and some of the successes that they're having. So, um, and some of those I will share with you later, but not in this podcast, but please, I encourage you to send them in, which is wonderful. I'm glad this information is helping. Today, I have four questions to get through. The first one, um, although she shares her name, I'm going to keep this anonymous. I have a question regarding my four-year-old grandson, who will be five on July 4th. He has a two-year-old sister as well. My grandson refuses to wear underwear. He walks around naked, and my daughter cannot get him to leave his clothes on. And with a younger sister around, it makes it worse. What can we do to make him leave his clothes on? So you got a little nudie, a little the nudist on your on your hands here. <laughs> so what I would say is there are many children, especially because he's only five, who enjoy walking around naked, feels nice. I know some 55-year-olds who like to walk around naked because it feels nice, and they actually go to nudist camps and whatever, you know, whatever floats your boat. Uh, however, they don't walk around naked on the subway. They don't walk around naked at work. So part of what we want to do is to neither shame our kids about their bodies, but we also want to guide the child towards um, understanding the social norms and mores of a family. And those can be different for different families. Um, but we, in the end, want them to line up somewhat with the social order of the culture that they're going to join as adults, meaning this probably wouldn't be um, a question of concern if you lived in a culture where people were topless and wore grass skirts in, uh, you know, par parts of uh, more tribal hot cultures, for example. So this is very much a culturally bound question. And so, uh, but that's part of 
training the child, guiding the child, helping them to adapt to the greater society that they're that they have to perform in. So how do we do the training? How do we take time for training? So again, I want to make sure that we don't shame our shame about our body. I also wouldn't worry about the younger sister here. I'm not sure if you're worried about her seeing male genitalia. Um, Young kids are very curious about the body, and it's not uncommon for them to want to explore and play doctor, and they may do that with friends, or they may do it with a sibling. And I know that that becomes scary territory for parents who think about it as either um, being sexual or crossing a boundary line. And so we have to make sure that things are consensual, but it's not pathological or neurotic to want to explore and understand the body. And so we can talk about naming the body parts and understanding how our body parts work. But then we also want to talk about privacy, that there are things that we do uh, in private So that would include things like we don't show our private parts in the public parts of the house, that that's something for your bedroom or for the bathroom, for example, Um, just the same way that we all know that we have to, like, blow our noses and pick our noses and get boogers out of our noses, but we don't offend people by doing that in public. We don't clip our nails in public. There's things that we do that we do in private. So it doesn't have to be a shaming thing, but you you, you may say, hey, you know what? Not everybody enjoys seeing your body out in public here. So if you'd like to be naked, that's fine. You can do that in your bedroom. But um, if you have trouble staying dressed out here or at least covering your private parts, hence called private parts, then uh, then you'll need to, to stay in your bedroom. But underpants are a requirement for being out here. Uh, so then it's really just a matter of if he decides to take his clothes off. Um, and in this case, like I said, I wouldn't care if he ran around in his underwear. It's kind of like running around in your bathing suit. But you could just grab him by his hand and say, oh, I, I see you prefer to, to have privacy. This is where we go be naked. And just take him by the hand and walk him to his room and say, yeah, when you'd like to come out where everybody else can see you and be with you, then then underpants are required. But you decide for you. And you just leave the choice with him. And just hand, walk him back each time. So um, that would be my general strategy. But like I said, some kids... Sometimes they like to strip and get naked for other reasons, and those reasons can be this, the reaction of the adults around them. Did he discover that it was kind of fun to cross a boundary? Did he find that it was fun to rile up enthusiasm? Is he the kind of kid who's going to, like, peel his pants off at the park and shock people? So in Adlerian psychology, we're always looking for the child's creativity to find a social response that may in some way give them some form of importance or significance or stature in the group or whatever. So I would be watching for some of those clues to. And of course, the correction for that is to help our kids find their significance, importance through useful contributions and that we don't need to shock and appall people to to um, to gain our significance, uh, overcome our feelings of, of feeling insignificant or feeling inferior or feeling not important in the group unless I'm somehow shocking and appalling people. So, uh, but we don't have those kind of details. So hopefully that's enough to, to kind of get you uh, started there. Question number two. Hi, Allison. I'm enjoying your podcast while I go for my morning run. I have a question I hope you can answer on an upcoming episode. I found a vape in my son's room. I need to talk to him about it, but wanted to be sure that I handled the situation correctly. Can you give me some pointers? 
yes, I can, actually. The first thing is you didn't exactly say how you found the vape in the room. And so I could start with letting parents know that I really do believe that um, our young youths need to have privacy in their room and that we can't go snooping in their room. Parents can be rather snoopy. And the, and the, re, the reason why I say this is um, teens are going to want to find their own place, space, and territory. It is part of their process of finding a place for themselves that's separate from the family. And in fact, I remember, I got along great with my family. I was not rebellious in any stretch of the imagination. But I, I remember developmentally living at home, and um, I can't remember, maybe grade nine, I had a bedroom upstairs, and um, well, first it was very important that I redid the whole thing and had to like look like my little social room. But I also didn't even want my boots or coats to be in the shared front hall closet. It's like I wanted my room to be like a little apartment. <laughs> um, and so kids need to make that space and that territory within the family. And uh, and so that's okay. And that, you know, we need to ask permission to, to come in. And we don't want to be snooping around and reading journals and reading diaries and, and doing that kind of a thing. But who knows? Maybe you just bumped into it and you hadn't been meaning to find it. You weren't snooping to see if anything was amiss. But you, you stumbled upon and found something. And so kudos to you for not feeling like you had to react and respond in the moment. So many times parents feel they have to be brilliant in the second or deal with something instantaneously. And usually we're pretty emotionally uh, charged when when we're kind of shocked into a situation like this. And usually we don't have the time to stop and think and in your case, reach out to an expert. It is completely okay to say to, to a child if you're in a shocking situation that you don't know how to handle, I don't know what to say or do right now. I'm I'm actually confused about how to handle this situation. I'm going to need some time to think and calm down and understand my confusion, but I'd like to talk about this. And so you have time on your side. You know, it doesn't have to be like just boom right now. So thank you for taking the time and making a, a consideration to how you want to handle this well. I would say that um, we don't know the story behind the vape, but if we ask ourselves, what do we want to accomplish? You have to kind of begin with the end in mind. And um, and that's that taking that longer view of parenting, that if we really decipher this down, chances are you don't want to have a child who has a, a nicotine addiction, and you're hoping that you have a child who has good health. And so those are the, the concerns. And I would approach it from that caring position where you can say, hey, um, listen, you know, can we find a moment to talk? I've, I've got some some stuff I want to discuss with you. And being respectful to youth and, you know, not all times are good times to talk to youth. You can't do it on your schedule. You've got to sort of book an appointment or find some sweet moment where lines of communication are open and say, listen, you know, uh, the other day I was uh, cleaning up or stumbling around or whatever and um, I, I bumped into a vape. You know, can you tell me about that? I always love to have question marks, question marks. I don't want to preach. I don't want to lecture. I want to learn. I want to understand. And yeah, I want to guide a conversation and make sure that I say some things, but um, I don't want to jump to conclusions. I, I want to come from a position of always of, of help me understand you, help me understand your world, help me understand your thinking, help me understand what's upon you. And uh, if you do that enough over time, kids are more likely to actually open up rather than lie and say, it's not mine, it's my friend's, I'm taking it back tomorrow. 
And if they tell you anything that's um, that is disclosing to you, don't forget to also thank you. Thank you. I know it was that was a difficult conversation. I'm just I really trust you or thank you for trusting me. That means a lot to me that we have the kind of relationship that we can talk about all the stuff that's going on in our life, not not just the easy conversations that we can have the tough ones. So I want to encourage them and thank them for the courage it took to talk to you truthfully. And uh, and as you hear them talk about it, and, you know, they might, you know, I just tried it once. I'm not really doing it. I don't know what they'll say. And, and you're like, okay, I would, good. I'm, you know, I'm so glad we talked. I, I said, but, you know, I just, I want to tell you what concerns me. And I would start with conversations just about, it's so easy to just check something out and see what it's all about and experiment because everyone else is doing it and find out what everyone's talking about. Um, but the problem with substances that are addictive is you think you're just going to like do it for a while or play around with it. And before you know it, you've altered the brain chemistry. And it's not it's not about having, you know, willpower when you're talking about brain addictions to substances. And, um, you know, I'd hate for you to be in the situation that so many other people are um, of just fooling around and thinking it was going to be okay and then getting hooked. And I know no, no one thinks they're going to get hooked. Um, but I would, I really would want good health for you, and I wouldn't want you to feel that you just had to do things because your friends were doing it. Um, you know, I, I know you to be somebody who could stand up and speak up and just sort of say, hey, not my jam, not, not my thing. Um, but, you know, let me know if it is something that you need more support around or something you think you got a handle on. Um, but uh, we're in this family wanting everyone to support good health, good growth, good future outcomes. So anything that's a deviation from that, just let us know. So you're, you're, you know, you are, you're still educating, you're being discussive. But at the end of the day, the, you know, the thing with teenagers and, well, and, and, you know, you can't make them do anything. You, we got to stay in that position of how do we win cooperation? How do we bend their ear? How do we win influence? How do we approach the problem in a way that we are most likely to have a child internalize anything that we might say. And uh, so I hope that the tone and giving you some of the sentences there gives you, uh, you know, a bit. But I think some of us have to, I mean, if you're going to think down the road, so, okay, so let's say your kid gets addicted. You know, it's not the outcome I want for you either. But um, what are you going to do about it? Are you still going to love them? You know, there are kids that get into problems and they need to know that we, we love them, that they're struggling, that we're there for them. It doesn't mean we condone it. But we can't make our love ever feel conditional. And uh, that's just a really easy thing to communicate accidentally, uh, even though in our heart of hearts, we, we, <laughs> we know we're not going to abandon our kids. But we do send quiet, rejective messages if we're not cautious. So hope that helps. Here's our next one, question number three. My daughter is six years old and very sensitive and emotional. If she can't do something, she gets really upset with herself and has a meltdown. She takes everything we say as being critical when we are only just trying to help her figure something out. Yesterday, for example, when she was trying to take the plastic wrapping off the cap of a bottle, when she was struggling, we suggested that she look for the perforations where it's easier to peel. She threw the bottle down and stormed off instead of trying our suggestion. Well... It's not uncommon for children, as they are growing and developing, to want to get to mastery. They want to grow. They want to develop. Uh, just like the tadpole wants to become the frog and the caterpillar wants to become the butterfly, by about the age of four, uh, children have, um, I mean, we're born with the, the motivation to go out of that 
can't walk, can't talk, can't do bottle cap jars, to to the motivation of saying life requires me of social life to I need to learn how to do things, I need to learn how to communicate, I need to learn how to be in relationship with people. They're always growing, always improving, always getting out of that either true inferiority, she doesn't know how to do plastic caps yet, or perceived inferiorities, which, you know, I'm I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough. And uh, as parents, we want to help the process along so that kids continue to stay motivated to keep growing and trying. And, of course, we know that in order to learn how to do a bottle cap, you have to practice. And yet somehow when you chime in, with helpful hints, she she really wants to know, I can do it on my own. And when you point out how I might do it differently, that you're noticing, you're putting me in the limelight that I am not competent yet. And so it might be from her own private logic, her own way of viewing the world, that it's not okay to be anything other than completely masterful. And that's a limiting belief, because how are we going to grow if we don't put in the hours that are required to developing a skill. So it's kids who who think that the only way that they're going to be significant, the only way that the world will accept them is when they do things easily, quickly, and done to a certain level. And anything short of that is like putting that spotlight on how inferior they are. And even just a comment is like they hear as not good enough, not good enough. You're watching me. I, I, it's like I'm standing on the stage with my pants down and everyone's paying attention. And it's not. She's just taking the plastic cap off. But that's the kind of emotional kind of feeling that she's got. So first thing is I would say some kids maybe don't need as much parent coaching as we would think, meaning if she's struggling with the cap, I might just not say anything, just knowing her personality that she doesn't really appreciate it. Or I might say, um, hey, would you like a tip on on how I get them off that might be helpful? And she might say, no, I can do it on my own. Because some kids really want to show you that they can do it without help. That might be part of what's important. But what I would also say is that where we want to be putting our energies is not so much into the, the little the learning feedback, but just watching them in wonderment as they have a go at it. And for any attempt or effort, wow, you really worked on that ketchup bottle hard. Wow, I I like how you're like looking for different strategies for how you might crack into that plastic cap. So I'm actually commenting not on like how to do it and how to do it right and do it well and do it my way. I want to be promoting energy around effort, grit, stick-to-itiveness, because that's the part where she doesn't quite have enough courage. That's the part where she's not quite sure. And uh, so there's a shift in focus, not for things that are done imperfect, but for effort and improvement, strategy, technique, all those, the, all the creativity that she's bringing as she faces the challenge. So um, even if she only works at it for a couple of minutes, you might just, you know, notice that. Wow, you gave that a really long go. I know sometimes you get frustrated and throw things on the ground and you don't want to stick with it anymore. But boy, this time you really did. I saw you biting your tongue and saw your eyes all focused and concentrated. You really you really gave that one a go. So those are the kind of messages that I would say. And if she, and again, if she's hearing things critically, you know, it, I guess that may be her subjectivity, but I would also say parents do tend to give a, a lot of commentary that's not needed. We're very chatty. We're very chatty correcting 
culture. So I would maybe take that as being a bit of truth and just ask yourself, do I need to comment right now? Do I need to bite my tongue? Do I do I need to make a comment if I just hung back a little more, if I just kept a little quieter? How would this go? So I would experiment with some more um, sparsity uh, of, of, of language and see how that works out. All right, last one here. My um, five-year-old daughter and I have a fight every morning about her hair. She likes to wear it in different types of ponytails and braids, but no matter what I seem to do, she gets upset saying I'm doing it wrong. The braids are too tight or too high. I can't get it right no matter what. It always leads to us getting upset with one another. Any ideas for me? Now, I'm having a deja vu because either I have answered this before on the podcast, something similar, or I have worked on this with, with, with clients. Aren't kids brilliant? If we look at what is that about? Why this morning fight? Why can mom never do the braids right? Well, again, going back to the child's perspective, what would put a child in a felt positive position by criticizing? Here's flipping it from the other question, where the child is criticizing mom. You're doing it wrong. It's never right. It's never right. Well, if we look at it through the lens of of the power dynamic in the relationship, who's in the top position? Who's the master and who's the servant in that conversation? The child is. And interestingly, no matter what mother does, the child can say that mother is wrong. Because how is a mother to know what's too tight and what's the proper location? So in a sense, it's a guarantee that the child is able to boss the mother around and criticize the mom and keep her under her, under her thumb. So if I recognize this as being the dynamic and the utility usefulness, the child's goal in, in, this, in playing this out— with power, you know, we don't want to win, meaning I don't want to fight, but neither do I want to lose. We don't need to argue with her. We don't need to fight with her. It takes two to fight, but we can disengage. We can take our wind out of the child's sail. So in this situation, how that looks like is instead of saying like, you know, come on, it's fine. It's not too tight. This is how you wore them yesterday. I'm tired of doing it. That would be fighting. Don't need to do that. But neither do we need to throw the hairbrush down and say, fine, do it yourself. That would be, in a sense, losing or even getting upset in a sense is losing because the child wins by getting upset. So I don't want you to be disrespected. I don't want you to be bossed around. I want you to act in a self-respecting manner. So we don't try to child control the child because that would be a flip. Now, you would be enslaving the child. I don't want to control the child. But... If we're going to have an appropriate distribution of power, I want to tell the child what I am willing and not willing to do. And so uh, I would disengage. I wouldn't fight, but I might say something like, um, I'm happy to help do your hair. If it doesn't create a conflict, I never seem to be able to do it quite right. So either I could teach you how to do your own hair so this isn't a problem anymore since you know exactly how you like to see it and how tight you like to have it. Or I can give it my best shot and you can be willing to accept, you know, the best that I can do. But if it creates a problem, then I'm unwilling. I'm unwilling. Speaking about what I'm willing to do. I'm unwilling to do your hair if it turns into a conflict in our relationship every morning. So if we can do it without the conflict, happy to do it. If it turns into criticism in a fight, then I'm going to withdraw my services and and. I'll let you figure out how else you'd like to do that. Interestingly enough, my mother stopped doing my hair when I was a kid, but I could still sucker my dad into it. 
So there you go. So that should be uh, that should be some helpful ideas to to get you off uh, on the right foot. I am guessing usually when there is a child who is using power in one situation, this is and each situation has to be analyzed. I mean, you know, it's interesting that when we talk about the goal of the child's misbehavior, each dynamic has to be analyzed. So one minute it might be attention, the next minute it might be power. But it's very also common for kids to have the goal of power that seems to crop up across multiple situations. And so you often hear people say, like, well, he's my power child, or that's my attention-seeking child. And so although it may be not as quite universal as it feels for parents, you can understand if you had the private logic in order to be significant and important in this family, I need to prove that I'm the boss, or at least that you're not the boss of me, then yeah, it's going to come up a lot. And we have to work at at changing that mistaken belief about how you find your significance. So how do we um, how do we help empower our 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 kids that uh, have that belief? We want to find help them find it on the positive, constructive side of life. How can we increase their social interest and get them making contributions and choices for themselves in in ways that make uh, the family more more functioning? And how do we give them more autonomy? so that they can make more choices for themselves. And in, in this case, I'm saying if you actually teach her the skill of hair, then she is no longer dependent on you and you're no longer her whipping board. And so that creates choice for her, autonomy for her. And where else does she like to use her leadership skills that are helpful in the family? Even though she's still young, there might be other things where she would like to manage aspects of the home and maybe she needs to head up the cleaning committee or be the Saturday breakfast person. I would try to find all kinds of ways of using that great desire to to lead and, and contribute in ways that are directed towards the family. So those are my thoughts for today. And again, thank you for listening. Please go ahead and send in both your questions that I can answer in an upcoming podcast, but also Anything that you have uh, tried and had success or something perhaps you're still stuck on, you need either more clarification or you can say, tried it, didn't work. We will circle around and, and try to find out where the, the, the missing piece was so that such that you're not getting success yet. Uh, and anyway, so hope this has been helpful as always and take good care. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast, so thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. 